When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And what is up? Welcome in GC Live Wednesday episode of the show. Wes Mitchell here alongside Chris Clark. Got a great show planned for you here today. Going to be joined by our Georgia guest. As we always are each week, we have somebody to come educate us all about South Carolina's opponent. We'll have Palmer Toms from Dogs HQ right here on the On3 Network. That'll be in about seven minutes. Uh, looking forward to chatting with Palm to Palmer Toms about the Georgia Bulldogs. Again, this show is brought to you by our good buddy Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933 is how you can get in touch with Clint. If you're in the market for a new home, Clint can help walk you through the process. NMLS number is 71597. Email address is chammond at mortgagenetwork.com. You see Chris Clark right there beside us. Chris, what is up, man? What's going on, Wes? Uh, a lot. Again, I think we say that every show now. Pretty busy. Uh, gearing up. I think we're full-blown. The page has officially been turned from Arkansas. It's always you know, that period where you're kind of still looking back at the last game and, uh, you know, a few of the storylines that you saw there while also looking forward to the next game. It is officially, I think, on this Wednesday hump day, page turn day. So, full-blown Georgia mode. Coordinators speaking earlier, Marcus Satterfield, Clayton White, of course, looking back at Arkansas, but forward to Georgia as well. And that's where we are. Looking forward to hearing from Palmer so we can continue learning more about the number one team in the country in Georgia. Yeah, man, it, it feels a little, I don't know, it feels weird. Like, I, I feel like the the week has kind of flown into Georgia territory. Like, this is a game that normally creates quite a bit of um, excitement within the South Carolina fan base. And right now, um, you know, they're coming in at number one. I think Gamecock fans sort of, after coming into the year knowing Carolina was going to be a better team, but not quite knowing what the proper expectations should be for this team, I think it, there's kind of a little reality check. Like, man, beating Georgia, even though it's at home, it's going to be very, very tough. And even though Georgia lost what they lost to the NFL on the defensive side of the ball, they're still good. they're still very, very good on that side of the ball. Not that they've quite been tested yet. So we'll see if South Carolina can give them something to um, to, to kind of at least make make them sweat a little bit, I think. But it, it's – I don't know, Chris. Am I, am I off here? It just feels like a weird Georgia week. I know last year nobody really expecting South Carolina to win the game last year either. This year, you know, most of the belief, I think, is in that building over there right across from the stadium, the Long Family Ops building. Outside that building – doesn't feel like there's a ton of belief right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe realism, Wes, you know, right now is where people are at and just recognizing, you know, how good this Georgia team is. I think the expectation, again, we, we talk about this all the time, the first two weeks will not define either of these teams. With South Carolina – in some ways, maybe this team is what is what we thought they'd be. Um, I don't think anyone is shocked that South Carolina is sitting here one and one. If they were two and zero, oh, I think people could believe that. You certainly could believe one and one. Nobody expected zero oh and two, right? So they're probably about where, regardless of your expectation, whether it's a little bit higher, a little bit lower, uh, probably about what you thought. Georgia was an interesting team because they won the national title last year. They're a great team, a historically good defense. Um, and we knew they were going to lose a lot, but we knew they were going to return a lot. And we knew that they weren't going to fall off a cliff, right? Nobody, I don't think anybody reasonable 
was expecting. Hey, you know, Georgia, yeah, they won the title. They still have a lot of talent, but they'll probably, ah, they'll probably fall back to about third in the East. I don't think anybody was saying that. Um, this team has way too much talent on both sides of the ball, offensively, defensively, and then with what they do on special teams, you know, to take that far of a step back. So I think, Wes, it's more of a recognition of where both these programs are. And we were talking about that on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour on 107.5 The Game today with Terry Ford. Uh, how, look, South Carolina's 15 games in to what's basically a rebuild. Um, is there still talent on the team? Sure. Is South Carolina in a spot where when a number one Georgia team comes to town, you should expect to win or expect a super tight fourth quarter game? Probably not. And that doesn't mean that there's not some hope there. I think the expectation just from what you kind of gather around the fan base, Wes, is put forth a competitive effort. You know, even, even in the game against Arkansas last week, that was a much more competitive effort than we saw on the road in conference play in many games last year. There was some good to take out of that. It was a loss. Nobody's happy about a loss in the building. No Gamecock fan should be happy about a loss. But you can have those feelings while still recognizing, hey, has this team improved from last season in some facets? And I think in some facets the answer is yes. So I think that's led people to hoping for a good effort against this Georgia team. That's not to say there's no shot to completely write them off. Shane Beamer, certainly, if he was joining us, West would not be happy with this conversation that we're having at all. Uh, but that's our job, to sit here and kind of and, and give our opinions and, and set the expectations. Yeah, well, and I, I'm just talking about what I see from the fan base right now. And, um, you know, the, the job, the job inside, inside the building should be a different conversation every single week than outside the building, I think. I Absolutely. mean, inside the building, you – you should go into every game if you're South Carolina thinking you're going to win. Like, there's no team you should be looking at saying they're unbeatable. Um, you know, outside of the, the building, there are fans looking at it saying, hey, three-plus touchdown underdog. Um, you know, I, I thought it was interesting. Beamer sort of appealing to the fan base on Tuesday of, hey, the standard has been set for what williams Bryce should be. And kind of uh, – trying to appeal to the fan base to, hey, it doesn't matter that it's a noon game, doesn't matter that it's, um, you know, a, a team South Carolina is not favored to win. Be there, be early, and, and create that atmosphere that uh, that we've seen before. So we'll see, obviously, if that happens. And we've got a couple more days to break this game down. But uh, now we're going to bring in our guest. I uh, see him down there in the studio. Palmer, give me a thumbs up if you're ready to come on aboard with us. Um, let's go down to Palmer. Got Palmer Toms uh, from Dogs HQ on the On3 Network. Palmer, appreciate you joining us, man. How you doing today? Yeah, doing well. Oh, I'm, and now I'm not muted. Sorry, I thought that was a mute. Uh, doing well. Um, you know, ready to get this game going. Always excited to see uh, two SEC teams, two border rivals, two teams that recruit the same area, go after a lot of the same kids. Uh, always fun to see them, and it'll actually be my first time in Columbia for a game. Uh, been to Columbia before, but never covered a game there, never been to a game there. So excited to experience williams Bryce Stadium at its fullest. Yeah, and Palmer, we appreciate you joining us, man. And uh, sorry to put you on the spot. I just saw your chat saying, <laughs> Palmer said, give me one more second, and I no, just put him no live worry. on air. Georgia, Georgia and Oklahoma just had their uh, non-conference series scheduled uh, – that scheduled canceled uh for 2023-2031 so uh if if any South Carolina fans care about that uh that non-conference game is now off the books so that yeah that one is officially canceled uh South Carolina versus Georgia Saturday not canceled that one's gonna happen and uh Palmer so you and I were just talking for a show on y'all's end and I brought up this point and you said the the Georgia fan base had raised some some similar points, said this doesn't feel like your typical Georgia team. Like every single year, uh, I mean, I was blindly talking on the radio about you got to stop the run against Georgia. And then I looked more into Georgia, and I'm like, well, actually you have to stop Stetson Bennett from throwing the ball all over you. So how weird has this been 
to see Georgia be a pass-first team? And from your perspective, uh, can, can you tell us a little bit more about what that's looked like? Yeah, it's been really interesting, uh, really weird, like you said, um, to see Georgia, this team that has been known as a run-first team, uh, has, has been a ground-and-pound type program for a while now here under Kirby Smart, under Mark Rick before. Um, you know, interesting to see that kind of the way that it's kind of shifted with Todd Munkin as the offensive coordinator. Now in his third season, um, you know, I think if you look back at his time, there's been a gradual change. Um, but, you know, first year was 2020 COVID year, hard to really implement a new offense then. Uh, you know, Georgia had quarterback concerns, and so they weren't really able to do a ton with it. Um, last year they tried to make that change, but ultimately again, quarterback changes, um, you know, they, they, they felt like they had something with JT Daniels and the ability to air it out with him. Um, but ultimately he gets injured. They turn things over to Stetson Bennett and that's not necessarily his MO. Um, and he wasn't super comfortable. He hadn't gotten all those starters reps. Now, I think as you look at this team, he's incredibly comfortable, um, and, you know, he has gotten those starters reps, got them in the spring, got them all throughout fall camp, uh, worked with these guys during the offseason as the number one quarterback. He's comfortable with Todd Munkin. Todd Munkin is comfortable with him. And I think as a result of that, you're seeing Georgia air it out a little bit more. Um, on the flip side, they aren't running it as much um, coming in ranked at number two in the country uh, nationally for passing yards per game. Uh, way down the list coming in at number 10 in the SEC, not just in the country, uh, for rushing yards per game. Um, think that that's a little bit a result of the backs that they have. They don't have a ton of depth there. They lost um, one of their backups. That they, they only came into the year with five scholarship backs, lost one of those during preseason camp to a torn ACL, so now they're down to four. Uh, none of those guys had a ton of experience. Obviously, you lose Zamir White and James Cook to the NFL, um, you know, so they had, uh, you know, questions there, talented players still, but nobody that is a proven, uh, ground and ground and pound workhorse back. Uh, they are very talented receivers and, and actually you're seeing them used as a lot in that receiving game. Kenny McIntosh leading Georgia in receptions and yards, uh, through two games has, has led them both games so far. So it's, it's been interesting to see how Georgia has changed their offense a little bit. Uh, with the personnel. And that's kind of what Kirby Smart said is, you know, it's all going to be dependent on what our strengths are. And and they feel like this year um, they are probably a little bit stronger with the passing game with an experienced quarterback and weapons around him. Palmer, I want to congratulate you, man. You have made history for uttering the phrase for the first time ever. Georgia has depth concerns at running back. <laughs> I've never, I've never heard that. Um, and to be honest, uh, still, still a little surprised, but, yeah, like you said, great passing attack for this Georgia team. Um, and I know that on that offensive side of the ball, they've had at least one player that right, would, had been a little bit questionable. Can you give us a little housekeeping item and update on Mitchell and anybody else that has been you know, of concern a little bit going into this game? Where's this dog's team at from a health standpoint? Yeah, A.D. Mitchell, um, Adane Mitchell for Georgia – uh sophomore wide receiver was really expected to be their top pass catcher this year or top wide receiver at least uh, obviously you still got those incredible tight ends um but among the wide receivers he was looked at as the go-to guy um and and so that has been um a little bit of a concern he suffered a left ankle injury uh on the first play of the game this past weekend against Samford uh, left that game, hobbled off to the sideline, went straight into the injury tent, went to the locker room, and uh, at least to my eyes, never saw him emerge back out on the field. Um, there, there's been a little bit of conflicting reports there. Um, Kirby Smart said after the game that they felt like he probably could have gone back in. Um, but to me, if he had could have gone back in, why wasn't he on the sidelines? That's kind of what I'm ask, left asking. Um, you know, They said that they were hopeful on Monday, hopeful on Tuesday, uh, he did not practice Monday. Smart made that very clear um, in his opening press conference of the week. He said, yeah, he's definitely not going to practice today. Um, he was asked about his whether he practiced yesterday after, uh, you know, on Tuesday after practice. He 
didn't comment on that leads me to believe that he probably didn't practice. And then today during the, uh, but, but he still said he was hopeful that they'd be able to get him to go Uh, today during the sec teleconference. He kind of downgraded it a little bit too doubtful um, said that Mitchell has been able to go through some walkthroughs has been in team meetings, but that they are doubtful. He's going to be able to make the trip to South Carolina. Um, So that's the biggest concern for Georgia. Uh, You know, as you go about trying to replace your, you know, top wide receiver, um, you know, that they struggled a little bit passing the ball without him. Um, You know, they they looked a little bit out of sorts um, last Saturday against Samford. Um, Didn't have the crispest game. Um, You know, the scoreboard doesn't show it, but I think that if you watch the game, they looked a little bit out of sorts there. Um, So they're going to have to replace him. Um, Elsewhere, Nylon Green is a backup cornerback uh, that, that battled for that number two spot with Kamari Lasseter. He's battling a hamstring injury, missed last week, did not dress for the game against Samford, uh, and, and is also doubtful, according to Kirby Smart. Um, but really, I mean, they have been pretty lucky in terms of the injuries uh, through the first two games. Obviously, you know, preseason camp, they weren't so lucky losing Andrew Paul, like I mentioned, the running back to an ACL, uh, Arian Smith to an ankle injury that uh, that required surgery. Mitchells did not require surgery. That's why they're hopeful that they can get him back, uh, you know, maybe this week, maybe next week, uh, but definitely here before too long. Uh, Arian Smith, the, a speedy wide receiver that has, you know, losing him has hurt their depth already. Um, you know, he's going to be out for an extended period of time. So uh, Georgia – battling some depth concerns there. Um, you know, they, they, I think that, you know, you look at this team, they've got a lot of uh, guys in, in the trenches, you know, numbers wise, um, think that they have like 18 offensive linemen on scholarship. Uh, they do not have the same luxury on at wide receiver at defensive back at running back. Uh, and, and obviously those are all positions that, um, Soft injury, soft tissue injuries are a little bit more prevalent there. Um, hamstrings, uh, stuff like that. You know, turning an ankle can happen any play because they are running so much, being tackled so much, taking so much contact, uh, and that's what happens to Mitchell. All right, so you, you hit on defensive back. You mentioned, and I, I want to get a little bit more into that here soon. But um, Georgia's had two games. South Carolina's had two games. I think, honestly. I don't not sure there's a lot to take away from Georgia's win over Samford one way or another, right? They dominated as expected. I think Samford had what three first downs the entire game. Not a lot to take away from there. But the one that was the topic of conversation was Georgia's matchup with Oregon. Now, I personally expected Georgia to win pretty handily in that one, but what we ended up seeing was a demolition, really, for lack of a better term. That It was an example to me, Palmer, of how you can't just look at the stat sheet for games. You go back and look at that stat sheet. It was a little bit more even than maybe that you would have thought in terms of yards, first downs, things like that. Obviously, Oregon had a couple turnovers. But they did, you know, they got some yards in the game. They got some first downs. But Georgia scored pretty much at will and didn't allow Oregon to score. So what did you take away from that game in terms of how Georgia was able to beat Oregon so handily? And then did you see any potential areas of concern from Georgia in that game? Yeah. I mean, they jumped on Oregon really quickly. Um, You know, six possessions with Stetson minute at quarterback, uh, six touchdowns, four of those in the first half, Um, you know, they forced two turnovers on on Oregon's first uh, three possessions, um, back to back interceptions there, and, and I think that that game was kind of, um, you know, at that point, it, once once they had evened out, it was twenty one nothing, and it was kind of in a heartbeat there. So Georgia jumped on them early, um, came out really fast, uh, put up points offensively, kept Oregon from putting up points defensively. Um, and answered a lot of questions that folks had. Um, you know, I think coming into the game, they people were asking, "Oh, is is this Georgia defense going to be able to, um, you know, be able to to live up to the expectations that were set by last year's group? Are they going to be able to replace guys?" Um, and and you know, they they certainly came in and showed that they had a ton of talent to try and replace those guys. Um, you know, through two games, they've allowed three points, haven't allowed a touchdown. Uh, Kirby Smart has said that 
He wants to see how this defense is, you know, ask about what he's interested in seeing, what his, his biggest concern is about this defense going into SEC play. He said he doesn't really know how they're going to respond to adversity, uh, you know, that you can only create so much of that in practice um, and, and that you kind of have to face some of it in a game before you know how a defense is going to respond. They haven't really faced a ton of adversity. Um, they, they've kind of coasted. Um, so, you know, to me, that's that's the biggest question about Georgia. It, once it, when they face an offense that tests them, uh, you know, how are they going to respond when they face an offense that gets in their end zone? How are they going to respond? Are they going to you know, are, are they going to let that kind of create a domino effect or are they going to come back and, and, you know, punch the other team in the mouth? Um, you know, it's interested to see that. And then, you know, I think offensively, um, the run game has been a little bit of a concern, um, kind of like we talked about. They have done different things um, with the passing game, uh, you know, to create sp space, to get the ball to guys in space, which has been incredibly beneficial uh, for those passing stats and, and ultimately for the scoreboard as well. Uh, that was something that stood out to me against Oregon. They got the ball to a lot of different guys, um, you know, and, and, you know, got it out to them in space quickly and let them make plays. They got the ball out of Stetson Bennett's hands, didn't really let him face a ton of pressure. Um, and, and when he did face pressure, he made plays with his legs uh, to escape the pocket, to throw it away, uh, to, to escape pressure and run for yardage um, as opposed to, you know, trying to force it. Um, so I think we've seen a very comfortable Stetson Bennett, a confident Stetson Bennett playmakers out in space. Um, but as a result of that, you're not seeing as much of the ground and pound between the tackles uh, run game. So offensively, I think Georgia has done what Georgia has done well. They've gotten the ball to guys in space and let them make plays. Uh, they're not running the ball super well defensively. I, I think that so far they have, uh, you know, answered the call that, that was created uh, all offseason with losing eight guys to the NFL draft on that side of the ball um, from a record setting unit. Um, but the biggest question with them would be how are they going to respond when they face some uh, some adversity? Yeah, Palmer, and so we've talked about Stetson Bennett quite a bit, but I, I do think it's kind of interesting from the outside looking in. Um, when did Stetson Bennett – like, for, for me, it almost feels like overnight. Like, even even this offseason, you look at all the, like, all-SEC or preseason SEC lists, you know, there were some deep conversations about which – or which SEC quarterbacks deserve to be on that list. Lots of times – Stetson Bennett, the guy who led his team to a national championship, wasn't really even in those conversations from a lot of people I saw. So um, he, you know, Chris and I talked about this earlier. He's kind of gotten that game manager tag that was just put on him from the beginning. And then it was always sort of like, well, JT Daniels was going to be the guy that takes this offense to another level. And then, like you said, he gets hurt. Bennett comes in. I mean, it feels like overnight he went from being the guy who's going to just not get you beat to bonafide. This is the guy maybe they're building the offense around. Like, is um, am I taking that too far, or like, is it is this what you guys expected from everything you heard around the program leading in, or has it been a little bit more of a pass first Stetson Bennett based offense than y'all even anticipated? Um, you know, I think that again, with the playmakers that they have around him, you kind of expected that you, you expected, I think all off season, the narrative was that this defense may take, may drop off so much. And the offense has an experienced guy has a lot of experienced guys. You know, you bring back on the offensive line, uh, your, your starting right tackle who, who is now in his third year of starting. Uh, you know, normally losing a left tackle would be a major concern. Uh, but when you replace him with a former five star that actually started four games last season uh, while the, the previous starter was out due to injury, and then they end up bringing him in to kind of kickstart the offense and, and ch change up the offensive line. They did that in the national championship. There's not much concern there. You bring back a second year starter at center, um, you know, guard would be the only spot where they, they felt like that they had, uh, competition on that offensive line. And it was a bunch of guys that had played. So that was an experienced group. Obviously you've got tight ends that are dynamic in, in the threats that they bring to the table, you know, with Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington, um, you, you could go on further down the line, but those two have really stood out. 
Um, again, playmakers at wide receiver, guys that are veteran there um, with Kyrus Jackson, A.D. Mitchell, Lad McConkey, those three guys kind of standing out from the rest. But, you know, guys that have stepped up as well, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, Dominic Blaylock, uh, Jackson Meeks, um, those guys taking a step forward. Kendall Milton and Kenny McIntosh at running back, uh, creating a one-two punch for you there. There were so many guys that were veteran that you knew that, and, and and on uh, aside from Stetson, there were so many guys that were veteran that you knew that Georgia was going to, uh, you know, put the ball in his hands and let him distribute. Um, you know, like Kirby said, the biggest difference. He, he said this yesterday. He said the biggest difference in Stetson has been his confidence. Um, you know, he's he's played in big games. He's he's done it on the biggest stages, and he feels comfortable and confident in his ability to continue to do it on big stages. Uh, and and because he's done it because he feels like he can do it. The coaches feel like he can do it too. So I think that we did expect uh, Stetson, you know, getting those starters reps, getting comfortable to take a little bit of a jump. Uh, And and I think that, you know, he played with an edge last year, a chip on his shoulder uh, last year being doubted so much. And, and, you know, the year before too. And I think that this year, you know, he he's got that national championship ring to show off, uh, but he's still being doubted, uh, you know, as he talked about it, Um, you know, last season he said that it was, you know, everyone wanted to see if he could be Superman when, when they didn't think that he could be at all. Well, now, you know, he's proven that he can be Superman. And so he's got to continue to go out there and show that he can be the guy for Georgia. Uh, but like he said, uh, you know, he, he even admitted, you know, to say that there's no doubt this year, kind of silly to say that. So, um, you know, there's certainly been some doubt out there, like we said, those preseason watch lists and stuff, um, top 10 quarterbacks in the SEC, top five, whatever, um, you know, he, his name hasn't been on there largely. And and it is after these first two weeks, especially the showing that he had against Oregon with a uh, career high passing yard total and, and the way that he guided that offense into the end zone. Palmer, last one I got for you, man, is, uh, you know, I think we all know Georgia's expected to win this game, and largely that's because we think that they're super talented, they've got depth at a lot of spots, and that they'll do what they do, which is play good defense, not just run the ball but pass the ball this year, that they're pretty explosive there. But let me ask you this. What what would have to happen for Georgia to be upset here? If it's, hey, South Carolina wins this game if these couple of things happen? It's a great question. Um, And, you know, I think that – and Wes and I kind of talked about it earlier on our end of things, um, you know, South Carolina is going to have to be in this game early. They, they can't, uh, they can't pull an organ where they, you know, this, this game is hyped up so much uh, and, and they come out and they get behind, um, you know, like he said, South Carolina has done that before uh, and they can't do that again, um, you know, because Georgia will jump on you and make you pay. Um, you know, at that point, once they get ahead, they're, they're so talented that they can, uh, you know, continue to play their game and continue to, um, you know, it, to just wear on you. Um, so, you know, I think that South Carolina has got to get some breaks early. They got to uh, put pressure on Stetson Bennett, make him uncomfortable um, because, you know, as much as well as he has played so far this season, everybody kind of knows that, that, you know, if you put a ton of pressure on him you make him throw it 40 times uh that's not that that hasn't been the recipe for georgia to win it um this season it has been they've they've you know kind of alleviated some of those concerns by keeping the the throws you know within intermediate passing distance they're not really stretching the field so and and i don't know how much they're going to stretch the field without their number one wide receiver this week um, you know, I think so. If you can, it, it, I think that it certainly helps South Carolina's case. Um, that Georgia is going to be throwing to you know guys that may not be their their primary target. Um, so I think that offensively, you've got to slow them down. You can't let them just jump ahead of you. And if they score, you got to score with them. Uh, you got to put some pressure on this defense. And I think that that's another area where you look at Georgia and 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 this this team is that defense hasn't been tested. How are they going to respond when they do get tested? Uh, you know, I think that South Carolina and in, in this passing game uh, certainly can test Georgia and, and can, uh, you know, make them feel some pressure. So Georgia really hasn't felt pressure so far this season. Uh, I'm interested to see how they'll handle a, a road environment 
Um, like Kirby said, you know, playing at Mercedes-Benz Stadium against Oregon, it was 80 to 90% Georgia fans. It wasn't really a road environment. So that's a test for this team. Uh, you know, the, the plan on the road, uh, you know, a true road game is a test and, and getting into the SEC, uh, that's certainly a test too. Palmer, uh, great stuff, man. We appreciate you taking the time today. I know you uh, probably got some more writing to do, so we'll uh, we'll let you get back to it. But uh, enjoy the trip to Columbia. Enjoy your first uh, time at williams Bryce Stadium. And um, good luck with everything at Dogs HQ. Again, if uh, Gamecock fans want to read the other view, go a little bit more, you know, just in-depth as far as what's going on on the Georgia sideline, uh, go check them out. Again, they're on the On3 network as well. Um, so great to be able to – have that connection here, man, and, and work off of each other. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, Palmer? Of course. Look forward to seeing you guys Saturday. Awesome, man. Appreciate you. That's Palmer, Tom's, Dogs, HQ. Go check them out on the On3 network. Chris, um, we just learned a lot. I, uh, I, I think, you know, whenever – I think – trying to think of how to say this. I think Palmer was sitting there thinking to himself, like, it's going to take a lot to go South Carolina's way for them to win this game. However, I do think there was an interesting point to be made there in that this is a new Georgia team. And even though the first two weeks, they really were not tested at all. And we thought Oregon was going to be that test. Um, at some point, no matter how good of a team you are, you are going to face some adversity in a season. And um, this Georgia team has not really been hit in the mouth yet. Like, they have not been put in a situation to have to respond. Um, they have not been tested, in my opinion, defensively yet. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you South Carolina is going to go up and down the field on them. However, I think comparatively to last year, when you're talking about, Chris, a historical defense for Georgia, you're talking about a South Carolina offense that was going into that game. Um, you know, no offense at all to Zeb. I love Zeb, but, you know, Zeb was going from being a grad assistant to playing in Athens, Georgia, on the road. Um, this is a situation where if South – to me it's going to be about can South Carolina's offense get hot and get in a rhythm and force Georgia to sweat. I know the offense has been the thing fans have beat on for the last, um, you know, however many games it is now. Uh, but 15, 15 <laughs> games, yeah. And your point on Monday was, hey, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be banging on the offense so bad right now. Um, I think we have seen signs of life. Possibly even signs of this being a pretty darn good offense by the end of the year. So... Can they can they find some of that rhythm this week against Georgia? It once again, man, is going to come down to seven. It comes down to Spencer Rattler. I feel like it does, and I, I'm with you on that. Even the conversation has continued, really, West to center around the Gamecocks' offense, and that's why I've continued to put forth my theory that people are seeing it as a continuation of last season. I don't think that's fair because I think there are enough new faces and changes on this offense that we need to have a little bit more than two games to see. But we also, despite some issues in the first game for sure, whether it's turnovers or the lack of rushing or whatever you want to take from the game, and there were negatives, that was a better offensive performance than they put forth in most games last season and certainly all of the road games. So – there's something to be said for it. We know that in terms of quarterback play, it's an upgrade. We know they've got more playmakers on the offensive side of the ball at receivers specifically at tight end. So I think it's a wait and see. I, I think, Wes, the concern on this game, that's not to say that we should expect South Carolina to go score up and down the field on Georgia and score a bunch of points. Still a huge concern. Can you score against Georgia? Still a huge concern. Um, I don't can want anybody to score against Georgia. Right. Can anybody score? So that's still a concern. When I look at this game, though, the first place my head goes is can South Carolina stop Georgia defensively? And that I, I've just, I've honestly just still been surprised that the defense hasn't dominated more of the conversation, given what we saw against Arkansas, 
And then especially when you factor in two major injuries to starters and some other guys banged up on that side of the ball. If South Carolina comes out and Georgia scores on their first two drives, South Carolina starts slow offensively or turns the ball over early, this one has an opportunity to get out of hand. So I think the formula is just what you said, easier said than done. They've got to play more cleanly than they did the past couple weeks. If it's three turnovers to none, this game will be over quickly. Conversely, if you take the 2020 formula where South Carolina got outgained and kind of outplayed by Georgia in that game in Athens, but the turnover margin is four to zero in favor of the Gamecocks, then you have a chance. I don't love that comparison because even though it was South Carolina, Georgia, the teams were very, very different. And that South Carolina defense had some dudes on it, you know, uh, JC Horn, Javon Kinlaw, you know, a couple first rounders. There's some good players on this defense, but it's much more of a concern this season. I do think the offense has some potential to score some points, but they're going to have to come out and establish some success early and not be playing from behind in this game. Well, I think on the defensive side, man, like the the elephant in the room, the thing that you don't you don't want to make excuses before it even happens, but it is what it is. These injuries are going to affect the game. You know, I, I think you look and now, you know, the fact that Cam Smith is listed among the guys that are questionable, it appeared after the game that, you know, it seemed like there was some confidence Cam would probably be back soon and be able to play this week. Now, Cam is on that list of guys who are questionable. These are the positions. If you pick two positions on the entire team and said before the year, if you were the coaching staff, you could wave a magic wand and say, you're not going to have injuries at these two positions. Edge and and defensive back. Now, more specifically, you probably would have said safety, but now you've had injuries to your starting safety, one of your starting safeties. Um, and just so happens, Nicky Mawari came in and was a baller. But now you're possibly missing your best cornerback against a team that has found the way to throw the football. So this is not a recipe for South Carolina. And they're going to have to, some guys are going to have to take their opportunities and step up. Now, I, I do think they're going to miss Mokaba, but I think Shirai Green is someone who can fill in there nicely. I'm more, when you look at the current kind of team and the way it's structured, that edge spot. Um, Gilbert Edmond now being asked to hold up against the run. Um, you know, what happens at nickel if Cam Cam can't – David Spalding would have been your guy at nickel. You would have just played Marcellus Dial and Darius Rush on the outside at corner. You would miss Cam, but you'd have a pretty structured plan there for that. Spalding is questionable. Cam is in the questionable group as well. What happens there? Do you move some guys around? Do you – can, can you move some guys around? I don't know. Like, do we see Kawan Banks play some more nickel? That's a spot he was playing early in camp. Can a DQ, DQ Smith play some nickel? Is there is there somebody else? Uh, can a Taka Hemingway slide out and play some edge in, you know, running situations? I, I don't know. I, I think the defense is in a spot where they're going to feel like they probably, Chris, have to get a little creative but then they're also not going to want to overload guys by giving them too much to do either. Yeah, and Wes, I was when when somebody asked us earlier this week about kind of hey, if RJ Roderick is definitely back in this game, which it seems like he will be, you know, who who can come in there and play nickel, um, or even if Cam's back, do they figure out hey, we would like to play somebody else at nickel, especially with Spalding out. Uh, Nicky Minwari, I remember Tori and Grace said before preseason camp open was learning nickel. So do we see some Nicky Minwari at nickel with RJ Roderick and Devonnie Reed at safety? I, I don't know, but the possibility is there, you know, what where physically from a skill set standpoint, he could do it. Now he's seen all his snaps at safety, 88 snaps against Arkansas, and then most of the game against Georgia State because RJ Roderick went down, I think, on you know, drive one for Georgia State. So that's a possibility. I think, look, it's going to be kind of fascinating because the first two teams that South Carolina has played have very much been run first. South Carolina was able to, even though they gave up some yards to Georgia State, they were able to control that game enough defensively to where Georgia State had to pass the ball. And they largely 
failed doing that. They were not successful at all. Um, you look at the Arkansas game. Arkansas didn't really have to go to the air. It was kind of surprising when they did, to be quite honest. South Carolina did not control that game defensively. Arkansas dictated the tempo. Well, now you have a team in Georgia that I do think they're balanced. They have the capability to be balanced. I don't want to hear, West that a team that has like four or five-star running backs has depth issues, even if they're unproven. I'm still convinced that's an area of concern to South Carolina because until we see them line up and stop a really talented team on the ground is still a concern. But this is a Georgia team that they've been stronger the first couple weeks putting the ball in the air. And so will they come out and try to do that against South Carolina? It'll be a different type of look potentially. Um, but still, hey, there's a lot of challenges. you got to worry about Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers, two big, physical, fast, talented tight ends. The receivers, the backs are really good in the run game. Stetson Bennett can hurt you with his feet. So the challenges, especially with the defense that doesn't have a lot of depth, are tremendous now. Yeah, and I, I meant to ask him how our boy Oscar Delp was doing, man. I know uh, they got more tight ends over there than anybody in the world, I think, including NFL teams. But, um, Chris, I could just see your face when um, the discussion about lack of depth at running back. Yeah, don't want to do like, nah, I don't, I don't buy this BS. Like, don't even, don't even come at us with that, right? No, I was, I was going to be, you know, respectful. And, and hey, maybe – there's a point there because instead of having, you know, eight five-star running backs, it's just like four now, right? But, yeah, I uh, haven't, you know, Kendall Milton and and um, McIntosh, Kenny McIntosh. I mean, one of them I think was a five-star, one of them was a four-star. Four-star was on the verge of five-star status. They, they've got some other – they've got some guys there. And, and I think, look – Shane Beamer pointed out that one game, I think Milton was the leading rusher with 58 yards. Another game, he, he was 85. The one game where he had 85 was on 10 attempts. You know, now this is still a team that Palmer mentioned. They've got 18 linemen on the roster on scholarship. That's a combination of our guy Sam Pittman, what he did, and then Matt Luke when he took over there. Um, both George is always going to recruit offensive linemen. They're always going to recruit running backs. So they still, this is not a team, any, any talk of the demise of Georgia's running game, you know, I'm not buying it. I think the ability is still very much there for them to do it, but you have the added layer now of, yeah, maybe they're not quite, they don't have Todd Gurley back there, but they can still run it. And now they have a running quarterback who's playing very efficiently and they've got a passing attack that really seems to be clicking there. Um, we had a comment on here, Hunter Johnson saying um, that – where'd he go, Hunter? He said Dow is playing nickel according to Clayton White. Um, well, Dow was playing nickel this past week. Uh, that was when they had Cam outside. The approach at that point was to have Dow at nickel. When Cam came out, O.D. Fortune came into the game at cornerback. So the question kind of becomes if Cam can't go – and we've seen Cam play a lot of nickel in game one. We've seen Cam play a lot outside in game two. It's a matchup thing, a week-to-week thing. The real question is if Cam can't go, what do you feel comfortable with? Do you do you just play dial at nickel? But if you do, then the question is, well, who plays cornerback? Like who, you know, who plays that spot on the outside? So I think um either way, you have a question you're gonna have to answer as far as your depth and getting the best five on the field. So I don't know. We'll see, Chris. Uh, any other thoughts on what you learned from coordinators? I read Colin Taylor's updates. I have not had a chance to actually go watch it yet. I'm gonna go do that after we get off here. But um, what else did we learn? I did see a comment on there from Satterfield talking about how when they ran the football on first and second downs against Arkansas. Uh, you know, when you're not talking about a third and short or a goal line that they did have success, which is something we said, it's something we saw. Hindsight being 2020, Chris, you probably run the ball a little bit more against Arkansas, even knowing what you know about their secondary. Was that the point that Satterfield was making that, hey, you know, there there was some success in the running game when they did run it? 
Yeah, I, I think so. Um, he even kind of broke it out a little bit more in, in that you look situationally. And so, you know, when you're down near the goal line or if you're third and one or fourth and one, you know, you're running a belly play and you're trying to literally just get past the sticks. You're not trying to, hey, we're going to space them out and let's try to break a 75-yard run here. You know, you're just running up the middle and trying to pick up, move the chains. That could skew it a little bit. And I think he had maybe 10 or 12 runs, he said, where they averaged five yards a carry. And so fans are sitting there going, exactly, run the ball, you know, a little bit more. Um, He made the point, Satterfield did, that, hey, as a coach, I've got to run the ball a little bit more and give them more opportunities, Marshawn Lloyd and Juju, to be able to do that. So I do think – not think he did say that in the press conference. So, you know, what will the exact game plan be going into the game? I mean, he, he mentioned Jaheim Bell and the tight ends trying to get them more involved. So all the different things that have kind of been talking points about this Gamecock offense in the aftermath of the game, he, he talked about those things. Um, he even said, he was asked about identity, Wes. He said, Hey, I'd love to run up in 12 or 13 and go run the football and control the game, but that's not always feasible. Um, he, he was kind of thinking through the press conference, you could tell, and not getting distracted, but even during questions, he would he would think of thir- certain things. He, he emphasized that they want to be able to run the ball more in terms of volume because they have been effective at times in situations. But he also said that, hey, we have seven. Like you said, Wes, we have Spencer Rattler, and he even used the terminology that it can be addicting when you go out there and see a guy – make some of the throws that he can make to go out there and and chuck it around the yard. So obviously some things there to figure out for Satterfield in terms of how he's going to structure this offense going forward against a really talented team in Georgia. Yeah, I'll say this, man. One thing I have respected about Satterfield from the moment he has arrived is he has answered the questions in these press conferences and he's tried to give real answers. And I think, you know, not just the, well, that's what we thought was best for the team, or that's just what the game plan was. I think he is he has tried to, um, with self-awareness, like you'll even see him say sometimes, you know, I'm not trying to give you a coach-speaky type answer, but um, like he he's very self-aware about those things and has tried to at times just be like, well, I should have done this, or, yeah. you know, I, uh, I was pressing as a play caller a little bit, talking about the Georgia State game, so – I, for one, appreciate that. And, um, you know, I, I think it, it has to be as a play caller. You're pro- you probably are saying, I got this guy with this NFL arm. You probably watch some of the new, the near misses against Arkansas. And you're saying, man, let's let this kid keep letting a rip on this thing because they're going to hit eventually. Yeah. Um, and there is I, – I firmly believe, Chris, there is going to be a game where several of those deep balls – click in and we're going to be talking about Rattler having an historic day. You know, like I think there will be a game this year where it just all clicks and the offense goes up and down the field. And then people are saying, well, where's this been all year long? What, you know, what is this? But it's just a matter of timing. I think still being something that they're trying to completely sync up. Um, By the way, I got to tell you all about our friends at Liberty tax, uh, overcome your tax ID at 803-462-462. Five five seven six. The tax team at Liberty is there for you year round. Uh, did you file an extension this year? The deadline for you is coming up soon. Uh, that'll be next month. Uh, have you got some back tax returns you haven't filed? Do you have debt to the IRS? Uh, did you play IRS roulette and lose? Uh, no blame, no shame. Go to the nice folks here at Liberty Tax. They're local. They'll help you get things straightened out. Um, They have convenient locations, a friendly staff. Again, three locations here, Irmo, Columbia, and Lexington. And again, as I always tell you, you can give them a call, 803-462-5576. Again, 803-462-5576. As always, we appreciate our friends at Liberty Tax here in the Midlands. Chris, final thoughts, man. What you got? We got two more days. We won't give it all away today, but uh, what are your final thoughts on today's show well i'll stick with uh going back to the coordinators we we hit on a little bit of marcus satterfield uh clayton white of course also spoke and that was one i wanted to 
hear probably even more from, you know, in the aftermath of the Arkansas game. And um, he, of course, was asked about the tackling. And so I was curious of what his answer would be there in terms of, you know, just what he thought of it, what the team may be working on going forward. So um, one natural fan question may be, well, are they spending any more time in practice on it? And he did say that Shane Beamer did, a, you know, a lot, a little bit more practice time into making sure that they're kind of just refreshing and renewing the guys on on those things. Um, but he also said that it was something that they've kind of – it has to come from players even more than coaches, which I thought was a good point, that the guys this week are looking back on their performance and now trying to take it as more a matter of pride. They can look back and see, you know, White didn't – Coach White didn't mention these numbers, but I'll, I'll mention them, you know, 21 missed tackles, 154 yards after contact, and he was clearly bothered by that type of performance. And um, it appears that the players were too. And so obviously they got a big, you know, tall order ahead of them, Wes. It's going to be maybe a different type of challenge in some ways, or it is going to be a different type of challenge. But nonetheless, you know, they're going to have to do a better job. Clayton White saying that when the first or second guy gets to a ball carrier, that needs to be where the ball hits the ground and, and the ball carrier hits the ground. So interesting comments there just on the tackling, which will surely have to improve, you know, going forward. Definitely, man. So uh, you can go check those out on our YouTube page, youtube.com slash Gamecock Central. Hit the subscribe button on there. It's always free to subscribe to our YouTube. We've got more content on there than we ever have before. So go check it out. Um, he is Chris. I am Wes. Appreciate y'all joining us. Appreciate uh, Palmer Toms from Dogs HQ. Go check them out, dogshq.com. We'll be back tomorrow and then, of course, Friday as we close this thing out and bring you right on into a Georgia-South Carolina kickoff that is set for noon Eastern at Williams-Price Stadium. Uh, Y'all have a good one, and we'll see you soon. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.